0: Thank you, Dan, for reading God's word for us this morning. This morning, we continue the sermon series that Pastor Wade has us on. We're talking about the 10 key miracles in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Pastor Wade has shared three out of the 10 already. And these miracles each reveal aspects of Jesus' authority and his power. And this is great material for us to consider as we prepare uh, in the season of Lent, we prepare our hearts. For the upcoming Easter season to remember what Jesus has done for us to celebrate his resurrection and the victory, his victory over the grave. So today we'll be spending time on Jesus's power and authority over the Sabbath when he healed a man on the Sabbath day. Our passage this morning, a sermon passage will be Mark chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. So please listen to the word of God. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger, And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they may kill Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in this passage we see yet another example of jesus's ministry going into conflict with jewish leaders of his day the in in this situation the pharisees and the herodians and as christians on this side of history we have the privilege of knowing the larger uh, narrative the larger gospel accounts We know that this conflict is part of a series of run-ins between Jesus and the Pharisees and other religious leaders. And these run-ins accumulate over time and they ultimately play a factor in Jesus' death and crucifixion. It's it's important to know in this passage where they are located. We we believe that they were located in Galilee. And at the time of Jesus' ministry... Galilee was a place experiencing several generations' worth of prosperous times under under the Herodian dynasty. They had fertile soil, they had mild climate, they had abundant precipitation. Galilee was located on key trading routes in between Egypt and Syria. They exported wheat, they exported olives, they exported wine. Of course, they had the Sea of Galilee, so they had some fishing going on there. And according to the first century historian Josephus, Galilee was a wealthy area. It was heavily populated. The wealth was unevenly distributed. Majority of the folks were lower class. Historians also note that by the time that Jesus was alive, there were undercurrents of a revolution beginning. A revolution was underway. Revolutionary activity was underway. We should also consider in this passage who the Galileans are as a people. Again, I'll speak on Josephus. Josephus makes mention that the Galileans were, no, were known as being very uh, uh, having a lot of piety and that they had great loyalty to the Torah. This also may explain why there are so many synagogues in the area and we'll get to synagogues in a moment. The people in Galilee had a lot of run-ins with the Pharisees themselves. They didn't like all the changes that the Pharisees were making and other religious leaders to their laws and to their ordinances. We should also remember that much of Jesus' ministry was in Galilee. Again, Josephus makes mention that Jesus had a reputation as a miracle worker. And this is coming from a historian who didn't believe in Jesus. Even he uh, knew of God's work, of Jesus' work. And while things did start pretty positive in Jesus' early ministry, we know the flow of the accounts of the gospel accounts when things started to get a little bit more difficult as time went on. And of course, if we jump ahead to Jesus' resurrection, we should remember that Jesus goes back to Galilee to continue some of his ministry. So that is the context of our passage this morning. Galilee being a prosperous area with with a loyally religious community that was experiencing tension between the people and the religious leaders. And that there were undercurrents of a larger revolutionary movement in the region. So with that context, let's go back to verse 1. Verse 1 says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. So we have Jesus, a new rabbi, saying new things and starting to have tension with the existing rabbis in the area. And they entered into a public synagogue and that is an important point that we'll get back to in a moment. Why do you think out of all the details to be preserved in our holy scriptures for us to read for the rest of history why is it that God inspired the gospel writer to tell us that this scene takes place in a synagogue? Jesus uh, had activities taken all over the place, right? He had homes, he had the temple, he had courtrooms. He he did work by the well on a road on a hill, in a boat, in a manger, all of these places, why is it so important for us to know that Jesus' work here was done in a synagogue? We should know what a synagogue is. Uh, Historians say we're not quite sure where the origins of synagogues came from, but they believe that perhaps they served as assemblies, as meeting places uh, during the Babylonian exile. And of course, we know that synagogues are important to uh, the Jewish identity and Jewish history. And by the New Testament times, synagogues were well-established. They would read in the synagogues, read the scriptures. They would pray. They would offer sermons sometimes. They would also uh, uh, conduct administrative matters in the synagogues. They would teach children. Some of them even served as a treasury. They would even have public prayer. Actually, you can go and have public prayer anytime in the synagogues. They would even use the synagogue to host dinners. So by the time the first century rolls around, we have two types of synagogues. We have what some call association synagogues, and then we have public synagogues. And interestingly, in Galilee, which is the setting of our our passage this morning, in Galilee and Judea uniquely, you would find public synagogues. Association synagogues, they had rules, charters, titles, people in positions, membership was based on your country of origin, social identity, what you believed. But both public and association synagogues were viewed as sacred. So in public synagogues, people like Jesus, people like the Pharisees could use that space to proclaim their vision of how the Jewish tradition should be understood and lived. And Jesus certainly did that. He taught in the synagogues, he worshiped in the synagogues. The Apostle Paul did the same. He would go visit a synagogue and he would go preach at a synagogue. And even in James 2, we see that the Greek word used for synagogue is used to describe the assembly of Christians gathered for worship, though they ceased to use that language in post biblical times. So what is uh, the gospel writer Mark and Peter, through Mark, trying to tell us? It's that Jesus was engaged in public mission. Public synagogues were used by Jesus to proclaim his message of the coming kingdom. Salvation was not just to a particular Jewish group. The proclamations were not bound to a particular association. Rather, the proclamation of Jesus as the Son of God, that was for everybody to hear the good news wasn't a secret to be kept by the elite so we have jesus a rabbi in a public synagogue in galilee in a synagogue that is important to a jewish identity and important in terms of a place where proclamations on how to live life are made this is the place where jesus makes his proclamation that he is the son of god And it's in this scene and in that synagogue where he heals a man's withered hand on the Sabbath. So being in Galilee matters. Being in a public synagogue matters. And it seems like these circumstances are on purpose because they are. God is trying to tell us something. So in verse 2 it continues, Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. It's important to note that the Pharisees, among other groups, disputed among themselves what was permitted to do on the Sabbath. They have ancient texts that show their arguments. And at the same time, it's interesting to note that not all of Jesus' healings were viewed as controversial. We'll see in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1 that there was an exorcism that, uh, that Jesus conducted on the Sabbath and people reacted to it positively. Jesus also healed Peter's mother uh, on the Sabbath, though admittedly that was in a private setting. It's also good to know that in Mark chapter 1, it also notes of other people that are sick and demon-possessed waiting for the Sabbath to be over, so they'd wait for the evening to be healed. But it's not until we get to the story of our second scripture reading and our passage this morning when we see the first critical stance against the Sabbath healing in the Gospel of Mark. And again, I just want to point to, this is God working intentionally, on purpose. He could have waited a few more hours for for sunset, but he didn't. And it was in a synagogue where he healed a man in front of other Jewish uh, religious leaders. So verse 2 shows us that the bottom line Is that the pharisees were not being honest debates and expect and exceptions to sabbath practice they are found in rabbinic literature that the pharisees would have been familiar with so this stuff is nothing new it's important to remember what the sabbath is as well the sabbath is a significant is significant to the exodus story right it reminds the jewish people how god rescued them. And that word rescue is something that we should hold on to. It's a sign of the Mosaic covenants, just like the rainbow is for the covenant of Noah, just like circumcision is for the Abrahamic covenants. And just like the synagogue, the Sabbath is important to Jewish history and identity. The Hebrew word for Sabbath has the same root uh, as the verb stop or cease. And it also is similar to the word seventh. So we have this word play going on here. The Sabbath day is the seventh day of the week, a day of rest. And we know that to keep the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. In the Old Testament, we see that the violation of the Sabbath was a capital offense. And the way that scholars kind of interpret this, they, they say that the burden was pertaining to pursuing one's own affairs or being resentful in keeping the Sabbath. In Jewish tradition, the Sabbath was viewed as the pinnacle. It was the center of the week. So the days preceding the Sabbath were in preparation to it, and the days preceding the Sabbath were in response to it. And we know the Sabbath day is not like any other day. In Genesis, God himself blesses the seventh day and makes it holy because on it God rested from his work. And while Genesis doesn't necessarily uh, communicate the seventh day, the day of rest, as a command necessarily, what it does tell us is that it was a sign, it was something, the Sabbath was something about the completion of creation. And it says something about who God is. And as image bearers, we should consider that. So at the end of verse 2, we have the important location of, of Galilee. In a sacred public synagogue where proclamations of how to live are made on a holy day that reminds us of completion that reminds us of rest that reminds us of rescue that's the context for verses three through five jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand stand up in front of everyone and jesus asked them what is lawful on the sabbath to do good or to do evil save life or to kill but they remained silent he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and he said to the man stretch out your hand and he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored in verse 4 we see that jesus makes mention of what may be lawful during the sabbath right he says Is it, are are we to do good, are we to do evil, are we to save life, are we to kill? This is not something that Jesus is coming up with out of the blue. This is not just some random example that Jesus is creating to communicate something. This is speaking to real Jewish history. He's engaging with with well-known pieces of Jewish history, specifically the Maccabean warfare a few centuries ago. Jesus was familiar with the Torah and the apocryphal texts such as First Maccabees. Jesus knows that there are exceptions to saving life on the Sabbath and he knows that the Pharisees know. And this is why Jesus is upset. It's not wrong for Jesus to heal somebody on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are simply out to get him. They don't have good intentions in their hearts. Jesus knew that even the Pharisees helped others on the Sabbath because their own literature said so. The Pharisees were using a double standard against Jesus. The Pharisees were causing trouble for no good reason. Also in verse 4, it's interesting to note the Greek word for, for Jesus' phrase to save life is uh, the Greek word sozo, which is literally defined as salvation. And this is, My friends is important jesus's healing work on this man's withered hand is not just a healing of this man's withered hand it was a life-saving act the the miracle this miracle was the healing of the whole person in mind to save a life is precisely what is in line with the Sabbath, the Sabbath practice exceptions found in things like 1 Maccabees, which the Pharisees are very well familiar with. So, my friends, this is the type of healing that we believe in. A restoration not just limited to the natural world. We believe that Jesus heals, that Jesus saves his creation from peril with eternity in mind. And we should not take for granted the natural world healing and miracles, we shouldn't take those for granted. The gospel accounts are regarded as historical, not just uh, illustrative. And it's interesting to note that the opponents of Jesus didn't say that these miracles weren't real. Rather, they, they were uh, pressing on the sources of the miracle. They would say, Jesus is demonic or Jesus is using magic. They didn't deny that the miracle happened. Jesus' real-world action here is part of kingdom proclamation. Jesus and Jesus alone has authority to make a person, the whole person, new, including their physical, social, and spiritual being. His authority is felt with the ease in which he cures the incurable. His authority is observed when he doesn't need to mediate his healing through prayer. The healing of the withered hand it's not just an act of compassion, though of course it certainly is that. This healing act shows that God was involved. So now we're on to our final verse, verse 6. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and they, they began to plot with the Herodians how they may kill Jesus. Seems like an overreaction. See, it the dispute wasn't whether or not we were going to regard the sabbath it was how to keep it and the historians say that the jewish courts wouldn't have taken such a case because it was how to practice it it wasn't a total disregard of the sabbath altogether only blatant rejection of the sabbath was realm for capital punishment for the and for the jewish courts to take on it's also interesting to note that they criticized jesus for doing good on the sabbath But they don't bat an eye at plotting to kill Jesus on the Sabbath. So, as a summary, this conflict is not coincidental. They were chosen for a purpose. This passage in our Holy Scriptures that we're reading 2,000 years later, we are reading it on purpose. We need to pay attention to what God is telling us. Why this story was preserved in our Holy Scriptures in all of its detail. The ground was fertile in Galilee, and not just literally. Galilee was a place ready to host the fulfillment of so many of the Old Testament prophecies. Galilee was ready for the Son of God to walk its soil. The public synagogues came into being after generations of assembly of the Jewish people, and they were designated for the proclamation of a better way of life the public synagogues were ready for Jesus, the Messiah, to share the way. It was on the Sabbath, the holy day, the day that reminds us how God's people were rescued from bondage. It is that day when Jesus rescues the fullness of a man with a withered hand. It's on the day of rest, the seventh day, the day when God's work was complete, that Jesus makes a broken man complete physically and spiritually in him. And it causes us to look forward into the Sabbath of eternity where rest and rescue of all of creation is finally complete under Jesus' rule, under Jesus' authority, because he is the Son of God. So to close, I leave you with a few notes on how we can reflect and apply this passage to our lives. So first, God has us living in 2024 in Canandaigua, New York, at the United Church of Canandaigua for a reason. The soil is fertile here for God to do his work. We are all here on purpose. We need to maintain open hearts, open minds, open ears to the moving of the Holy Spirit. I think the way uh, that Pastor Wade ends his sermons is great. He often asks, how is the Lord re- uh, asking us to respond to this today? I think that's a great question. Second, while we don't use the word synagogue anymore to describe where we are this morning, we are indeed together as an assembly And we are in a place where we proclaim the good news to share the vision that Jesus had on how we are to live, to love God, and to love neighbor. We are in this world, but not of it. And we navigate the realities of this life through the lens of his kingdom. So we operate with integrity when discerning exceptions to rules, just like Jesus, not like the Pharisees. And when righteous anger is stirred in us, let it stir us to be used by God to restore that which is broken, not plotting for the demise of those who we disagree with. Third and finally, bring with you this week the assurance that it's only through Jesus, in his authority, that we can be rescued and made whole again, and that is recognized and remembered on the Sabbath day, the day when we rest in completion. Let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, we, uh, we come and are, are thankful for your revealed word that has been preserved in our holy scripture. We acknowledge this day that Jesus, the Son of God, is the one with authority, that Jesus is the one that is with the power to heal, not only our physical brokenness, but our spiritual brokenness too. Lord, we recognize that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And just as you created the world and rested in its completeness, we are assured that Jesus' work on the Sabbath is a sign of hope for all of us that one day all of your beautiful creation will be made new and find its rest in eternal Sabbath. Lord, use us this day as a community of believers who proclaim your good news, that you have come to rescue us. In Jesus' name, amen.